Well, many of you will know that over the last couple of weeks, we have been thinking together about this wonderful fact that our God is a gatherer. This is week number three in our series that we're calling He Who Gathers. And essentially, here's what we're learning as we're surveying through the scriptures, that God is not one that pushes away, but rather he is one that draws us to himself. He, he is not a repellent. He is one who compels us to come. Uh, he does not dismiss us out of hand, but he draws us in with his gracious hand. We've been learning that God is a gatherer, one who calls us near. And as he is this great shepherd, he's constantly in the business of gathering his sheep. Now, this is true for those who have yet to come to faith in him. He gives grace every day and draws them to himself. This is true for those who are experiencing deep conviction of sin and believing the gospel for the first time. That's the work of God drawing them to himself. This is true for those of us who already know him and who are striving to walk with him. He's constantly calling us nearer and nearer to himself. And it's true for those who know him and who have wandered away from him, maybe who have even rebelled against him and walked away in disobedience. By his grace, he's constantly calling. So this is the character. It is the nature of God, the character of who God is, that he is one who gathers us. And so we've been learning that truth and at the same time celebrating the fact that this is who he is. A couple of weeks ago, we began by talking about the privilege, the joy of corporate worship, that God gathers us for worship. Now, here we are today, a gathering here in Weaverville. Those of you who are gathered at Merriman are there. Uh, those of you online in your homes, we, we are gathered together. Though we're spread out uh, still, we are assembled for one purpose, and that purpose is for worship. It's the exaltation of Jesus. Now, a lot of people think we gather for church so that we can learn good Bible lessons or that we gather for church so that we can hang out with our church family and friends and have a good time or that we gather for church so that we can make good connections that'll help us in, in some way in life. All of those things might happen when we gather, but they're not the purpose of the gathering. The purpose of the gathering is the exaltation of Jesus. Do you understand? We gather together to worship him. And in that way, it is a foretaste of what heaven will be like. It's a, it's a foretaste of what we will spend eternity doing. It's the joy of gathering together for worship. Last week, we studied Ezekiel 37, where we learned about the, the uh, gathering together of those dry Bones. You remember that from last week? We talked about the rattling and the shaking and the assembling of those dry bones. And here's what we learned, that God gathers us for great purpose, that God gathers us to himself to give our lives a deep and eternal significance. Well, today I want to talk to you about the fact that God is a gatherer who is gathering together a people to share eternity at his table. God has a table, and he is calling people 
to his table. Now, I don't know if this happened uh, for you yesterday. It probably did for most of us where there was a table spread. It probably had something like hamburgers and hot dogs on it yesterday. That would be typical July 4th fair. But we love it when a table is spread and it's time to gather for the meal. Well, did you know that God has a table? He does. And he is gathering a people together um, who will come and spend eternity at his table. Now, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to spend our summer days um, out in the neighborhood playing. This is the way I grew up, and I don't know if kids still grow up this way. I tend to think kids are more sort of kind of hanging close to the house and watching TV and playing video games and things now. Maybe that's not really a true statement. Um, but when I was a kid, those things didn't exist. So if you were going to have fun, you had to go make fun, right? Yeah, you had to go out and figure out how to play. And, and so we would just get up in the morning and man, we would hit the neighborhood and me and the neighborhood rebels, I mean the neighborhood kids, we would, we would just go wreak havoc through our neighborhood all in the name of good fun. And we'd pretty much be gone all day. And I remember so many evenings when the sun would just begin to set or, you know, it'd get maybe, uh, maybe even before sunset, but six, seven o'clock, 6.30 maybe, I would hear the faint voice of my mother. And she would be saying, Jimmy. We lived in a pretty big neighborhood, but my mother could yell pretty loud. Jimmy, it's supper. And it, when she said supper, my friends mattered less than my supper. Are you with me? And I would leave whatever we were doing, and I would go home for supper. Some of you remember, if y'all remember that, say amen, right? Now, again, maybe it doesn't happen as much with today's kids as it used to. Some of you will remember uh, your mother had a dinner bell. Did she have a dinner bell that she would ring? Some of y'all are old enough to remember the dinner triangle. Y'all are like cowboy age, right? Like back in the old days, I'm kidding, none of you are that old, but back in the old days, they would have the triangle. They would ring that dinner bell, that dinner triangle. But, the, but, but whether it was a bell or a triangle or just mom yelling, dinner is ready, when the time came, when the call was made, then we gathered in for supper. Here's the beauty. God has a table, and he is inviting us to come to his table. We're going to learn about this in a famous parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter number 14. Now, our text is going to begin, we're going to read beginning in verse number uh, 16 in just a moment. But before we get into the text, um, I need to preface our reading with a couple of helpful uh, observations. Before you begin in verse 16, go back to the beginning of the chapter. So chapter number 14 and verse number 1. And in that verse, we'll learn where Jesus is when he uh, tells this parable of the great supper. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, it says, And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. Now, it's a wonderful verse because, again, it gives us a lot of important information. Here's what we know from the context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's on a multi-day journey from the far north of Israel to Jerusalem where ultimately he's going to die. He's making his final trek to Jerusalem. And along the way, he's stopping in villages and preaching the gospel of the kingdom in the synagogues and healing the sick as he goes. And, and he's in one particular city or village uh, in, in Luke chapter 14 
and it is the Sabbath day. And he's invited on that day into the home, verse 1 says, of one of the chief Pharisees. Now, what does it mean that he's in the home of one of the chief Pharisees? Most of you are aware that the Pharisees were this leading sect of religious uh, rule keepers, religious leaders of the day. Uh, They were the strictest of the strict of the religious Jews. They were the leading party, political and spiritual party, uh, religious party in Israel. And he was not only part of this very elite group of the Pharisees, he was, verse 1 says, one of the chief He was a leader among the leaders of one of the Pharisees. Now, this might mean that he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin court. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible. In fact, it's likely, I think, that he was one of the members of the Sanhedrin. That would have made him very well known throughout Israel, certainly in the whole country, not to mention his own city or his own town. But it also would have made him one of the most respected people in all the land of Israel. He's a leading figure. Jesus is invited to his home. Now, we might compare that. I don't know if this would be a fair comparison or not, but it would at least get at it. We might compare that to Jesus being invited to the home of Chief Justice John Roberts. If he's in Washington and John Roberts would be having a a meal and say, why don't you come and join me in my meal? Or Clarence Thomas, perhaps, or one of the other justices. Now the dinner party that Jesus is invited to, remember verse number one says that he's there to eat bread on the Sabbath day. These dinner parties on the Sabbath were elaborate events. Uh, Many of you know that we go to Israel all the time and and, uh, one of the great joys of being Israel is observing Shabbat or Sabbath in the land of the Bible and watching Jewish families gather, either in their homes or in a restaurant, gather for the special weekly Shabbat meal. And they dress to the nines, man. I mean, when they gather for the Shabbat meal, it is the highlight of the week. They dress uh, up, all the children have on dresses and the boys have on their ties and they're wearing their special ornate kilpas and, and they're coming to this meal. They'll have a sumptuous meal. That's the way it is today and it was even more so in the days of Jesus. These meals, these dinner parties were, were events, community events of a grand scale. They would happen, at least in this case, in the home of a chief Pharisee. These, this meal would be held in probably the largest and most exquisite home in the town. Uh, this was the home of the chief Pharisee. And so this would have been a place in a community where the elite lived in a, in a sprawling home for that day. When these meals would be offered, the only ones who would be the invited guests would be the elite of the elite, the wealthy people in the community, the influential people in the community, the religious leaders in the city. They would be gathered together. And a sumptuous meal. This wasn't a box lunch, right? Or, or uh, we're going to have some crackers and cheese. This, this was a sumptuous meal that would be spread. Uh, copious amounts of wine would be flowing and, and there would be this unbelievable table that would be set. And gathered at that table would be all of the invited guests. Now, these meals occurred oftentimes on a veranda or a 
porch of this house. Or if not outside on the porch, they would happen in a room where the doors would open wide to the porch, sort of bringing the inside out and the outside in. But it was this beautiful room where they would have this meal and they would sit around the table sipping their goblets of wine and and enjoying this meal and having rich, deep, theological conversation. This is the meal that Jesus is invited to. And the text tells us in verse number one why they invited him. Remember, this is the chief Pharisee or one of the chief Pharisees, certainly the chief Pharisee in this particular city with all of the elites and the leaders of that city, and they've invited this itinerant preacher from Galilee to come. Why? Look at verse 1. It'll tell you why. End of the verse. And they watched him. That's why he's invited. Not because he was an honored guest, but because their agenda was to find some problem with him, to find something that they might accuse him of. Now, I mentioned that these meals happen in these rooms that open up to the outdoors, or oftentimes they would occur on the veranda or the porch itself. And there was a reason for that. It was so that having the meal not in an inner room, but in a room that flowed outside, would allow for uninvited guests, commoners, village people, to gather around the perimeter, to gather just around the table and to sort of watch what they were eating. Sort of like you might imagine happening at the red carpet today, you know, at one of, the, one of these uh, Hollywood red carpet events where, where, the, where the beautiful people and the, and the movie stars are coming and the wealthy people are coming down the red carpet and all the normal people just gather around and watch and try to get a glimpse of them. It's exactly what happened at these meals. As the, as the people would gather together around the table, then the common people would just watch them eat and lean in to listen to their conversation. Sometimes these people would intrude into the conversation. Hold your finger in Luke chapter 14. Go back seven chapters. Luke chapter 7. Let me show you another instance where a similar meal is happening and the people are gathered around. And someone intruded. Luke chapter number 7, verse number 36. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Again, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's another moment when a Pharisee invites Jesus, different town. Uh, in fact, as I recall, I believe this is in Capernaum. Uh, to, invites Jesus to come and eat with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and he sat down to meet at one of these sumptuous meals on the veranda where people would gather around. Verse 37, and behold, a woman in that city which was a sinner. Now this means that she's well known as a sinner. You say, we're all sinners. I, we're all sinners, but she was, a, she was a sinner's sinner. She was well known for her immoral reputation. Never In a thousand meals would she have been invited to a Sabbath meal at the Pharisee's house. She wasn't one of the invited guests. She was one of the bystanders, one of the observers looking on, standing near and watching. Verse 37, behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, she came there. She brought an alabaster box of ointment. She made her way close to him and she found herself standing right behind him as he's eating 
And you know the story, verse 38. She begins to weep, washing his feet with her tears. She kneels down, dries his feet with the hair of her head. It's a beautiful scene, but what you find in Luke 7 is this picture of one of these meals where the commoners gather around and they observe and sometimes they intrude. This woman intruded and then, of course, was honored by Jesus. Well, back in Luke 14, the exact same thing happens. The people are gathered around, and look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. Similar to what happens with the woman in Luke 7, Luke 2 says, And behold, there was a certain man before Jesus which had the dropsy. Now, he would have never been invited to this meal. He was one of the commoners, one of the villagers who came to watch and in all likelihood was positioned by the Pharisees because they're watching Jesus. They want to see how he responds. So right in front of Jesus, as he's sitting at the table and eating, he looks up and right in front of him is this man who has a disease. Now, the disease of dropsy, and we're not exactly sure what caused it, but the word indicates that it was a disease which caused a retention a fluid, and so people with dropsy would be would be horribly swollen, and it would be very, very obvious that they were sick. Well, here you have Jesus eating this sumptuous meal on the Sabbath day, looking up and standing in front of him, watching is this diseased man. Now he's there because the Pharisee wants to know: Is Jesus going to do what he's done in the past and violate the Sabbath by healing this man? If you read the text in Luke 14, we won't read it all, but of course Jesus is going to heal him because Jesus cares about people. And somebody ought to say, "Amen." I'm glad Jesus cares about people, right? So he healed him, and he. Uh, upon healing him, then begins to engage with these people around the table. Now, Jesus seizes the opportunity, as he often does. He seizes the opportunity in this passage to teach his host, as well as some of the others who were invited to the dinner, to teach them two great lessons about the kingdom of God. Why don't you write them down? The first one is this. He teaches them that we should always receive an invitation with humility. We should always receive an invitation with humility. You'll find this beginning in verse number 7. Luke 14 and verse number 7. He put forth a parable unto those which were bidden to the invited guests when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms. The King James says it means the best seats at the table. Um, And he said unto them, when you're invited to a wedding, don't choose the best seats. I won't read the whole passage. Essentially, here's what Jesus does. He observes that when it's time for them to gather around the table, someone says, okay, it's time to eat, gather around. Do you know what they do? They all rush to get the best seats. They're jostling one another, fighting one another, trying to get a seat next to the host, the chief Pharisee, the influential leader, the man of power, and they want to be near him. And Jesus is watching all this. They they just want the best seats. And so he teaches him, he says, when you're invited to a meal, rather than taking the best seat, why don't you take the lowest seat? Receive that invitation with humility. He warns them, if you take the best seat and then somebody comes in who's a little more important than you, you're going to be embarrassed when they tell you to get up and move so that more important person can have your seat. So just take the lower seat and maybe you will be exalted to the higher seat. That's the first lesson. Receive every invitation with humility. The second lesson that he teaches them in Luke 14 is that we should humbly invite everyone else 
This lesson begins in verse number 12, and it's spoken to the host, to the chief Pharisee. Then he said also unto him that invited him to lunch, when you make a dinner or a supper, do not call your friends nor your brothers, neither your kinsmen nor your rich neighbors. Now, now you ever, you ever uh, thought of a moment that might be a little bit awkward? <laughs> so Jesus is sitting at the table with his host. Who's seated around the table? Well, the host's family and friends and rich neighbors. And Jesus says, oh, so next time you make a meal, don't invite these guys. The only reason you're inviting them is because uh, they're going to have a meal and then they're going to invite you, right? So he says, when you have a meal again, why don't you invite the poor and the weak and the lame and the maimed and the blind and the halt, the people who can't ever pay you back. They'll never have a banquet and invite you to it. Why don't you invite those people to come? The lessons are, number one, receive every invitation with humility. Number two, humbly invite everyone when you have a banquet. Now the truth is Jesus is not really talking about weddings and earthly banquets, is he? I mean, I mean that's, that's the image he's using, but there's at least one guy who's sitting around the table who knows what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, look at it, verse number 15. This guy gets it. Verse 15, one of them which sat at the meal with him, heard these things and said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, amen. Maybe nobody else got it. Nobody else understood what Jesus was saying, but this guy, he said, I know what you're talking about. It's going to be good to be at God's table in the kingdom of God. And Jesus takes that moment. And he says, you know what? You're talking about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about it. And he seizes that moment to, to share what is this famous parable called the parable of the great supper. All of that to get us to our text. If you're ready to read, beginning in verse 16, say amen. Here we go. Verse 16. Jesus said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say unto them that were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, one voice, began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I need to go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, uh, I know it's dinner time, but I've bought five yoke of oxen, ten uh, ox. I need to go test them out. Uh, prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I will be late. I'm kidding. He didn't say that. That was a joke, sweetheart. <laughs> I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Now that might seriously be the most legitimate of all the excuses that was given. I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Verse 21, I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. So, the, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. Stop and look up here. Can I convince you today that God gets angry? He does. Then the master, being angry, said unto his servant, I'm in verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here, in here to my house, in here to my table, in here to my banquet. 
the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. And the Lord said, go back out and go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Gather them in so that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Wow. Now, by the way, um, I mentioned to you last week that sometimes when you're reading a parable or even some prophetic scripture, the context is what will tell you how to interpret what the parable or the prophecy means. Such is the case in this passage. The context makes the meaning of Jesus' parable explicitly clear. Let me just work down through it with you real quickly. Maybe you'll jot these notes. When he says in verse 16, a certain man, that certain man represents God. That's who he means. God made a great supper. The certain man is God. He says in verse 16 that the certain man made a great supper. God didn't cook a wonderful meal. That's not the point. When he says he made a great supper or he prepared a great banquet or feast, He's talking about the kingdom of God, as I mentioned. Another way to say it would be to say he's talking about eternal life. He's he's talking about heaven. God created heaven. God created an eternal kingdom. In verses 18, 19, and 20, the excuse makers, that one that had bought some land or bought the oxen or married a wife and asked to be excused, the excuse makers in the parable represent national Israel. Israel is a nation. And really, more specifically in the parable, the elite, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. But but national Israel as well. In the parable, the respondents, who are found in verses 21, 22, and 23, these are the poor and the blind and the lame and the halt and the maimed, and those in the highways and the hedges, These people who respond and come in at the invitation, those represent converts to Christ. Those who actually will come into the kingdom. And the servant in the parable, or the servants in the parable, who go out making the invitation, these represent either the disciples of Christ, or or maybe we would say and or, the ministry of the Holy Spirit inviting people to come. Now here's the point of the parable. The point of the parable is to condemn the the spiritual religious arrogance and indifference of national Israel and to express the grace of God in inviting the Gentile nations into his kingdom. That's the point. And, And the point was not lost on the chief Pharisee or his invited guests when he ends the parable by saying, and I imagine he might have looked directly into the eyes of that Pharisee and into those eyes of those sitting around the table when he said, hear this, not one of those people invited will taste of my supper. Chief Pharisee, you've made a wonderful meal here. We're enjoying the meal, but God's made a supper and he's saying that the people around this table will not taste of that supper. Now that's the point of the parable. I want to apply it, though, more specifically to our lives and to the ministry of Brookstone Church. Let me do that quickly. Write these things down. Number one, this passage teaches us, this parable of the the Great Supper teaches us that God's 
invitation. God's a gatherer. He's an inviter. So God's invitation is broad. It is a sweeping invitation. One of the criticisms often made of Christianity is that it's too narrow. It's too exclusive. John 14, 6, Jesus said, for how many people come to the Father except through him? None. It's exclusive. It's limited, right? For no man, he said, comes to the Father except through me. But in truth, it's not exclusive or limited at all. It is in a broad invitation to everyone because the opposite of that statement is this, and everyone can come to the Father who will come through me. The invitation that God makes, his invitation to his gathering is broad. I love the fact that these verses, verse 16, verse number 23, make it clear that heaven will not be a sparsely populated place. Amen? Hey, can I tell you something? There is no social distancing in heaven. Amen? Y'all are doing really well, leaving every other row unseated today. You're socially distancing, and because it's a holiday weekend, we're kind of naturally socially distanced anyway. But the point is, in heaven, there will be no social distancing in heaven. None. Because that will be a place that will be filled. He invites everyone. And he began his invitation by inviting Israel. Again, this is what the parable means. Look at verse number uh, 16. A man made a great supper, speaking of God, making a a kingdom uh, for people to come into. And he sent his servant at supper, saying to those who were bidden. Now watch this. The first call to the gathering, if y'all are listening, say amen. The first call to the gathering in the parable, is not the initial invitation. The initial invitation's already been made. They've already been bidden. Now they're simply being told to come in the parable for all things are ready. He began by inviting Israel into this kingdom. Did you know that the kingdom of God was first offered to Israel only? Did you know that? It was, first of all, offered to Israel only. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 5, Jesus sends his disciples out to preach the kingdom. And he says to them, go find every person with a heartbeat, a pulse, and tell them about the kingdom. Is that what he says? No. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, he says, as you go out preaching the gospel of the kingdom, do not go into a single city of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the Jewish villages. It was limited in the beginning to the Jewish people. In uh, Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 24, Jesus himself says, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, let me read to you what the gospel of John says. You might turn, it's just a few pages. Next book in your Bible is John. Look at John chapter number one. Listen to what he says in John chapter 1. He came unto his own. That's who he came to, to Israel. He came to invite them into the kingdom. He came unto his own, verse 11. But his own received him not. So as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So here's what the Bible says. Jesus came to the Israel, uh, to, to the Jews And then, because they rejected them, he then invited 
everyone. It would be as if I looked at this one section in our church today and I said, all of you are invited to a meal and all of you made excuses and you threw me out of the church and you said, we don't want the meal that you've made. We don't like your cooking. We're not coming to your supper. And if I then said, well, okay, you're still invited, but I'm also inviting all of you now. I want all of you to come as well. That's what the Bible says. Jesus came to his own. They received him not, and so he invited everyone. It's a, it's a wide invitation, verses 21, 22, and 23. He makes this wide invitation because those first invited ones made excuses. So he says, I want you to go out, verse 21, go out into the, uh, into the lanes and the streets of the city and bring here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. They did that. He said, go back out again, go into the highways into the hedges and bring them in that my house may be filled. I don't know if you, if you see the, the picturesque nature of this parable. I mean, you imagine these wealthy and elite people who had been invited to this party. They're buying property. They're, they're buying oxen. They're, they're, they're uh, marrying their wives. And, and they're all invited and they're all indifferent to it. None of them come. And yet there's this beautiful table spread, this sumptuous meal, and nobody to receive it. And so the master says, well, then you just go out and you find the, in the streets and the lanes, you get the poor and the maim and the lame and the halt and the blind. I mean, imagine this. you got these servants in their, in their great attire. They serve the master, and they're, they're coming down in their nice shoes and their nice robes, and they've got gold-embossed invitations to the greatest house in the town and they're going to the homeless people and the broken people and the crippled people and the blind people and the poor people and they're handing them gold embossed invitations and saying, you know the big house up on the hill? You, you know the master who lives up on the hill? He's made this great feast. He's inviting you to come. And you imagine they might have at the first gone, no, he's not inviting me to come. You got the wrong, you got the wrong guy. No, really, you're invited. They go, they go down the street to the next place and they knock on the door in that seedy part of town and somebody slides a little slider open. <laughs> Who is it? It's just me. I'm from the master's house. I've got an invitation. All of you in that place are welcome to come. Are y'all following me? And they bring all those people in and still there's room. And so they go back out in the highways and the hedges. They begin to call out to people. The point is that the invitation is to those who would never think they would be invited to God's table. That's your question. Have you ever felt or do you feel right now pretty far from God? Like maybe somehow you've ended up down some street or lane of sin or brokenness that you never really thought that you would be down that street or lane, but there you are and where you are seems so far from God. Maybe you're caught up in some temptation. You're, you found yourself bound up in some kind of, some, some lane that's dragged you down a street of temptation. As I used to listen to ACDC sing back before I came to faith, you've found yourself on the highway to hell and God seems so far away. Can I just tell you that God has made a great banquet? His kingdom for eternal life is being offered to you. If life has left you broken and bankrupt, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you.
In fact, Matthew 11 and verse 28, here's the invitation of Jesus. He squares his shoulder, cups his hands and says, come unto me. All ye that labor are heavy laden. By the way, it's a transitional moment in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus up to chapter 11 has been going to the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and they reject, reject, reject. And he curses the cities uh, that rejected him and then he turns in chapter 11, verse 28, to the Gentile nations. And he says, come unto me, not all you Jews, but come unto me, all you nations that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The point is, God's invitation to the gathering is broad, and I want to say to you, you are invited. The second thing I want you to see in this passage, and this is really important for those of us who have already found ourselves in God's kingdom, and it is that we would recognize that we are God's servants to invite others to the gathering. We, we are the servant in this passage, verse 20, 21. 22, 17, we are the servants. We are the errand boys making the invitation. I love verse 21 when the servant comes and tells his Lord that all of these excuses have been made and the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out, here's the word, quickly. Go now. It's urgent. The meal is ready. Go and invite people to come. And the servant could have never imagined who he would be instructed to invite. He could have never imagined that his master would have said, go to the highways and the hedges and the lanes and the streets and get the, get the, the broken people of this world. And yet that was the urgent compulsion that he was given. And imagine such a great table spread in that wonderful home up on that beautiful hill and all of those people living in the broken lanes and streets and highways and hedges would have had no idea that a meal was there and available for them and the door was open to them unless somebody had come and said, the master is calling for you. Why don't you come to the meal? Can I tell you something? God's invitation is broader and more urgent than any of ours. It is God who says, go now and tell them. Go quickly, go urgently, invite them into the kingdom. We're content, sadly. We're content to sit around the table. We're, we're content to enjoy the meal ourselves. And sadly, we often gauge who we might ought to invite. Maybe we should not invite. We don't really talk to those kind of people, and I don't really know those kind of people, and I don't really want to associate with them. Our invitation is limited, but God's is not limited at all. His invitation is much more broad than ours. See, the truth is, we're the servants. And so my question to all of you who have already come into the kingdom, you've already accepted the invitation to the table. Are you sitting around the table? Are you lazily enjoying dessert in the kingdom of God while people around us are starving for the hope that Jesus offers? We are the servants. And then lastly, this passage, this parable would impress upon us the fact that every invitation demands a response. Every invitation demands a response. You ever get an invitation to a wedding or something and, and the invitation will say, um, RSVP by, and they'll give you a date to RSVP by. You ever take that and just trash it? 
Just go, you know, I can't go, and you just trash it. And you don't respond at all. You know what that is? That's rude. Because <laughs> they need to plan. They need to know if you're coming or not. And if they don't get, their, get your RSVP with your regrets, then they don't, well, maybe they didn't get the invitation. I don't know what to think. I don't, are they coming? Are they not coming? Should I order a meal for them or not? No, every invitation demands a response. And this invitation was made to these who were bidden. And you'll notice that those who were bidden were expecting to be bidden. They were expecting the invitation and they were indifferent to the invitation. Now, this is a reference to the religious elites, to national Israel. They assumed they were in the kingdom of God. They could just disregard this invitation because after all, they were Jewish people. They were going to end up in the kingdom anyway, right? Well, verse 24, he says, no, uh, they will never taste of my supper. Notice what their excuses are. Verse number 18, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a piece of ground and I need to go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Verse 19, I've bought these 10 ox, these uh, five yoke of oxen. I need to go check them out. And then uh, I've married a wife. Now the truth is, marrying the wife, I said, might have been the most legitimate uh, excuse because under Jewish law, newlyweds were given one year they had no obligations. They didn't have to go fight in the military. They didn't have to go fight in a war. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to respond to any invitation. They were newlyweds. They were just beginning their lives together. And so they could, they could ignore invitations. But they all made excuses. Now, here's what I notice about these excuses. They're all valid. I mean, they're not bad reasons to not be there, right? I mean, yeah, I'd like to come to your meal, but i got to go see about this property I just bought. I'd love to come to your meal, but I've got these five yoke of oxen. I've got to, I've, this is important. Well, you know, I've taken this wife, and they're all valid life events. Here's the point I think Jesus wants us to know. That sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, people let the very real issues of life keep us from the very real issues of eternity. And so we occupy ourselves with things that matter, they do matter. They are important, but they do not matter as much as eternity. And they are not reasons for which we should um, ignore the invitation of God into his kingdom. So what's your excuse? If you're here in the room, those of you at Merriman, if you're watching online, what's your excuse? God in grace has made this great kingdom. This kingdom of God. He spread this table of eternal life. He sent Jesus to pay the price for our salvation. He's inviting us to come to his table. He's gathering a people to his table. And the invitation is made to you. So what's your reason? Why won't you come to Christ? What excuse will you make? Maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm too young. I, I, I want to sow my wild oats and live my life and have my fun and then maybe I'll come to Christ. Or I'm too busy. I don't have time for these spiritual matters. I'm too busy earning my living. A thousand other excuses maybe seemingly valid. But what is your excuse? Here's the point. Every invitation demands a response. And when we are indifferent to God's invitation. He is angry about that. Verse number 24 tells us that. 21 and 24 tells us that he is angry. Verse 21 says, when he got these excuses, he was 
furious. And the word angry there literally means, it doesn't mean, well, he's a little disappointed. It, it means that he is filled with wrath because we ignored his invitation. Verse number 24, those which were bidden shall never taste of my supper. And I would just say to you that God has invited you into his kingdom. He has given his son for you. He has invited you to come to know him as Savior and live with him forever. And if you ignore that invitation, if you reject that invitation, you will never make it to God's table in heaven. Because when we say no to his invitation, we are excluded from the table that he has prepared. And so, Jesus said, a certain man made a great supper and he invited many. And you are one of the many. 